Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of Halitech Hall. This is Mike Halitech, the Texter420 on Twitter. Uh, my partner, Aaron, is taking a break this, uh, this evening, uh, dealing with some, uh, some things that he's got to take care of. Uh, but I am happy to say that, that we are joined tonight by uh, Jeff Burkus from Windy City Gridiron. Good evening, Jeff. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's been uh, it's we've been we've been trying to get you back on the show for a long time, and and uh, glad to finally get you back in the saddle, as it were. How have you been? I've been good, but the world has changed quite a bit since the last time we spoke. But excited to talk about some bears and some work that I've accomplished and some things I'm working on now. Absolutely. I guess the first thing we want to talk about, obviously, is the additions to the to the roster. Uh, that there's been quite a change, just like there has been a change in the world. There's been a uh, quite a change in the Bears roster, and uh, I'm actually pretty impressed with with what uh, Ryan Pace has done with limited draft capital and limited cap space. I think he's done a lot to improve the roster. Yeah, I think that, you know, I was kind of thinking about this before we started recording, and if I had to give it a letter grade, I probably would say it's somewhere in the B range. I don't think anything's necessarily blowing me out of the water, but like you said, with limited capital, limited calf space, I think he's done a lot. I think you can see the plan, which I think is important when you're trying to evaluate an offseason. I think the best move for me was getting... Uh, Eddie Jackson extended <laughs> right away. So let's go all the way back to right at the end of the season where he got uh, Bojack extended for, for a nice contract. And so that was good. Love to see Allen Robinson get done before the year starts. But a lot of the free agents, I, I can see it. They make sense. You know, Robert Quinn's very exciting to see what he can do next to Mack and Hicks. I really like uh, Tashawn Gibson, Gibson on the back end. Uh, I like Ted Ginn Jr. I like the speed. I know he's got you know, historically some drop issues, but he brings a good element there. So those are the moves I really liked. Uh, what about you? What what stood out to you as moves that you really enjoyed? I don't know about enjoying, but I, I have to agree with you that I think that the job that, that Pace has done, uh, I would have to give him a solid B as, as well. Uh, you needed to address the quarterback situation, and they've done that. It might have not been – you know, the, the the tens of thousands of Bears general managers that are on Twitterverse uh, didn't really appreciate it. But I think that overall, um, it, it, made, it made a lot of sense 
because of, because of what's going on in, with the virus and camps not being started, here's a guy in Nick Foles that, that has, uh, he knows the system. He can come in without a lot of, a lot of physical repetition and, and know exactly what Nagy's trying to do with the scheme. They brought Tyler, you know, they brought Bray back, uh, which is, other than the fact that he's a camp body, uh, again, he knows the system, and there isn't really a lot of time uh, to get somebody in brand new. Um, Cole Komet, uh, I think that, the, you know, what a, what a, what a fit for the Bears personally for him. Here's a kid that grew mm-hmm. up in the Chicago area, went to St. Viator High School. Uh, he was a beast in high school. Uh, he played at Notre Dame. He's been, he and his family have been lifelong Bears fans. Uh, absolutely, um, you know, this has just got storybook written all over it. Uh, the other, the other guy that they got when when they drafted in the second round, Jalen Johnson, was you know he had a, he had first round grades all over him up and down the draft, uh, so he's an absolute steal. Uh, the the kid out of Tulane uh, that now that Ginn can mentor, as mm. they're almost identical Moody. in in speed. Yeah, yeah, uh, Darn, Darnell Moody. And then when they, they topped off the roster with, with Gibson and, and Ginn, I just think, you know, he's addressed the only position group that he hasn't addressed at all in the offseason is the punter. So you got to give him kudos because he's addressed every position group in the lineup. And, uh, you know, again, it might not be the guys that, that, you know the the general managers on on Twitterverse, Bears Twitter, whatever you want to call it. It might be it not, might not be the guys that they want to see, but you know if, within the structure of what he could do with what he had to do it with, I think he's done a nice job. Yeah, and bringing in some guys with some high draft pedigree in the past that didn't that sort of washed out in their original spots, like Artie Burns, you know, corner played in Pittsburgh, didn't really work out there. You know, give him a chance. Let's see if you you can strike gold. Barcavius Mingo, I think we know what Barcavius Mingo is, but you know, he's a pro. He's got a lot of starts under his belt. He's he's good depth. You know, Jermaine Effetti battling with Alex bars for the right guard spot. That has me a little bit worried. I'd love to see pace. See if uh, Larry Warford is willing to come in and solidify that offensive line. I think you're, you're only as strong as your weakest link on the offensive line. And it'd be nice to shore up that, that starting five before the season starts. Uh, I guess the one move for me that I'm, I'm still kind of hurting on is that Jimmy Graham contract. I, I, I don't know who he was bidding against, I think that contract was a little outside the bounds of of uh, respectability for a player that hasn't really put a lot of good football on film in the last few years. But, you know, uh, let's see what he can do in this system. Let's see if they use him right. Let's see if he can put up some numbers. Yeah, I'm glad you touched base on Graham because we didn't talk about him at the beginning of the show with everything that Pace has done. And, and while I agree with you that money-wise it, it might not um, – look very cap friendly and, and, uh, you know, imagine if they had that extra 9 million to sign Warford today, uh, mm-hmm. it would be, it would be an interesting scenario to see, but there's some, there, there's some, there's some contract restructuring that they can do if, if they can indeed get Warford 
uh, to come here. The last rumors that we've seen on the Internet is uh, that the Bears are no longer in the running for him. But, you know, nobody thought that the Bears were in the running for, for Khalil Mack either a couple of years ago. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see because that, like you said, to shore up that position uh, and then you've got some really good depth behind Daniels, Whitehair, and Warford. Um, there, there's a lot of things that, that, that could be done. And then, you know, last but not least, you know, we talked, we've been talking a little bit about these, these little pieces and some of the gems that Pace and his scouting crew have been able to come up with. And you know the the, uh, the the offensive lineman that they got uh, at the end of the, the draft, uh, Lacavius uh, Simmons, uh, just looks like he's got a mean streak in him. And putting him at tackle to fight it out with with Massey on on the right side, it, there could be some changes coming on on the the edge of, of that offensive line. Yeah, generally when you're talking about a late pick like that, you're hoping to develop them in a couple of years. You know, it's not someone who steps in and competes right away. But if you're looking at 2021, 2022, a guy that you get late in the draft that you develop to eventually replace a guy like Massey, who's, you know, I think been a really solid veteran at that right tackle spot. I know that's not maybe necessarily the most popular opinion to, as you have alluded to a couple of times, Bears Twitter, uh, but playing offensive line, I, 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 I respect Massey a lot. I think he's done his job pretty well and he's really improved as a pass blocker since he's gotten to Chicago and he's always been a really good run blocker. And I think he's, uh, I think he's serviceable and I, I don't think he's the weak link right now, but eventually, yeah, Arlington Hambright and, uh, you know, some, a world-class name, maybe he can develop into some depth or maybe he can eventually challenge for a starter spot. And, uh, you know, anytime you take a seventh round offensive lineman and you, you can crack the starting lineup in a year or two, that's a good pick. Absolutely. And right after, right after the draft, it, we, this is one of the first times that I can ever recall that the draft happened before the schedule came out, mm. which is kind of interesting. And of course the schedule was delayed. It should have been out uh, on or about April 16th, but because of everything that's going on with, with the world today and with this coronavirus and, and uh, you know they they had to they had to throw some interesting things into the schedule. So when when you take a look at the the schedule for this year, the Bears start with Detroit, and um, and then they go they they're at Detroit, and then they can they go to uh, they come home to play the the New York Giants. Uh, in the entire league, weeks three and weeks four. There are no division games played, none. Hmm. So, so what the interesting scenario is, is in week two, every team that that plays in week two, they share the same bye week later in the year. So, if you wanted to do uh, this, okay. So, if you delay the start of the season by four weeks, you can shorten the season to fourteen by doing. The following: You move week one to what would have been the wild card week. You you move week two, structured throughout the rest of the year, into those bye weeks. 
you can cancel weeks three and four and not lose any division games. And you'd still have a 14-game season with six division games, and you'd start you just start the playoffs one week late. Uh, you might even have a scenario where you just move everything back a week, skip the Pro Bowl. I believe they're already planning on skipping the Pro Bowl this year anyway. It just have one week between the conference championship game and the Super Bowl. So there is some flexibility built into the schedule, and I think they did a, a good job. Uh, I was, uh, like many, I was thinking that they were going to uh, front load the schedule with all the non-conference games, but they didn't do that. But they did backload the uh, the schedule. At least the Bears' schedule is backloaded with with their division games. They don't play another division game after they play Detroit on September 13th. You have to go all the way to November 16th before you play another division game. So you have you play the Vikings on the 16th of November and on the 20th of December. You play Detroit. Uh, on December 6th, and you play the Packers on November 29th and to finish the year on January 3rd, assuming week 17 is the last week of the regular season. Right. So when you t- when you take a look at the, the schedule, uh, do you see anything that you like about the schedule, Jeff? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Off-season schedule scouting is always funny to me where people – lock in wins and losses. I, I'm not really a fan of that, but I, if the schedule's played like this, I'm pretty interested in that Tampa Bay game. I'd, I'd love to see Tom Brady wearing <laughs> the the pirate flag of Tampa Bay. I, I find that to be just fascinating, and I'm, I'm glad that he's coming to Chicago to do that. Um, interested that we have New Orleans in Soldier Field as well. It's good to not catch him in the dome, and so I think that's a that's a nice that's a nice advantage there. Some of the away games like Atlanta and Carolina, I'm not sure that they're going to be very good. So it's nice that we can have a, away games that are winnable. So, you know, the, I think there's the, the schedule this year does seem a little bit more friendly than last year. And and so you can never tell necessarily in May, but I, I, I don't know. Some of it, it looks friendly. It does. And, you know, the, the way the schedule opens up, regardless of who the quarterback is, uh, but let's assume for a moment that that uh, for lack of practice, uh, lack of camp, lack of any preseason games, uh, the one team that Trubisky has played exceptionally well, uh, exceptionally is maybe maybe a, a you know, poor choice of words, but he's played very well against the Detroit Lions. Yeah, absolutely. And he's played well in Detroit against the Lions, and they start with Detroit. Uh, they get the Giants at home. Then they go to Atlanta. And, you know, Atlanta has been struggling for several years. Uh, and then you've got the Colts that, uh, you know, you got to stay the flux there. And you might catch them early with, with Rivers as their quarterback. Has he had enough time to really get developed into that system before the, the big showcase, which is their first primetime game of the year against Tampa and Brady? So, it, it kind of breaks well for the Bears. And and one of the things that that I think is most important in a season is if you get off to a fast start, you've got that intangible called confidence. And a confident team is a better team 
even if you've got the same roster against one that's not playing with the confidence of, of a team that's playing it maybe three and one going into that Tampa game. Mm-hmm. After that, they they play they play two road games at Carolina. Uh, and, you know, they you get a second crack as it were against Bridgewater, but yet another new quarterback thrown into the mix. And then they get to play down in in uh, Los Angeles at that new stadium. Is it called SoFi? I believe. Um, yeah, it looks beautiful. It it looks absolutely gorgeous, and you know that. If if there was one game that I would love to go to this year, would traveling out to Los Angeles to see that game, but with the uh, with the virus being what it is, uh, I don't know if if um, I don't even know if there's going to be fans in the stands. You know, the first four or five games. Yeah. Um, but uh, that game is the second game. It's a Monday night game down in Los Angeles. Uh, for the Bears on the, the 26th before they, they come home to play the Saints. Uh, that is scheduled for a late afternoon slot on Fox against against the, the Saints in, in what is probably Drew Brees' last season. I don't know. I don't bet against any of these old quarterbacks anymore. You know, you just, you just never know. But you've got – so you've got Rodgers – uh, that's got a, a new quarterback behind him. You've got, uh, you've got, uh, of course, uh, the Buccaneers with Brady, but he's aging. He's, he, what did he sign a two-year contract? Yeah. Two years, uh, you, you've got Bridgewater at Carolina. He's, he's, he's a veteran, but he's, he's going to be brand new in a brand new system. So you got, you got, and you've got the Colts with, with, um, Philip Rivers coming in, uh, in you know their, their quarterback play wasn't the the weakest link on that team last year. So there's going to be a little bit of you know maybe is is it turmoil the right word to use there? But so you've got a lot of flux on a lot of the teams that they play in the first half of the season. Detroit hasn't played well at all under under Patricia. Uh, but he got some nice uh, he got some nice pieces in the draft to work into. But are they going to have enough time practice wise to get them into the system? So that first half of the schedule kind of breaks well, and then you get into the tough part of the schedule, starting with the Rams. When you have you play at Los Angeles, you have the Saints at home, you have uh, the a playoff team in the Titans, you have a playoff team in the in the Vikings. Uh, which is another Monday night game at home against Minnesota. Uh, but, and then you have your bye week. So, so that all bodes well, assuming that the week two game against the New York Giants doesn't get shifted into to that bye week uh, in, uh, in week 11. Uh, and then it sets up, you're, you play at Green Bay. It's a, it's a Monday night. It's the Monday night um, after uh, Thanksgiving. So the, the one drawback is the following week where you're playing on a short week against a, a Detroit team that is playing, you know, hasn't played a game in 10 days, but then they play Houston. They have Houston at home. They go, the, they finish the season at Minnesota at Jacksonville. And then the green Bay Packers, uh, they get to finish at home. I just hope we don't see the same results that we saw the last time they played Green Bay at home to finish the year. I agree. 
um, for for the listeners, the the last time they they played the the Packers at home to end the season, it was Mark Tressman's first year as head coach, uh, and they had been torched uh, badly in in their last two games. All they had to do was win one of their last uh, three games, and they lost all three. Uh, that was the year that uh, uh, Shea McClennan took Rodgers out for half of the year. And they came in and, and he started the game. Rodgers did. Uh, and the Bears had a lead. And, you know, we had a, another a defensive lapse in the backfield. Uh, we won't mention his name because he gets enough grief on Bears Twitter. Uh, but they finally found Cobb wide open on a fourth down. Uh, and then the Bears almost came back and, and won the game, but uh, you know a hail mary by Jay Cutler got got intercepted in that game, and and uh, from from that point on the Tressman regime went straight into the toilet. They only won what four or five games in 15, and that you know introduced us to what was the brutal John Fox year. So we, <laughs> uh, you know. We just got done saying, or at least you did, Jeff, that it's it's hard to try to put a victory total on a on a season that hasn't even started yet. But when you look on paper, and it's the only thing we can look at right now, is of course the season starts off really favorable with a lot of teams that played either poorly last year or in a state of flux this year. Then they get into their tough part of the schedule. But if they can come out of that schedule six and two, that sets themselves up for a great second half of, of the year with a lot of confidence going into it. I think this defense, a healthy defense with Quinn, Mack, and Hicks, and Eddie Jackson, Kyle Fuller, all those guys stay healthy. You get your starting 11, 12 guys that stay healthy. Um, you've got depth. That defense in and of itself is good enough to win 10 games. As long as, you have a, as long as you have a quarterback that doesn't just like hand it away, you know, which we've seen plenty of times over the years, but it, it's good enough by itself to win 10 games. But again, yeah. that's assuming that it stays healthy. Good point. You know, in, in Nagy's first year, they, they had a couple of inter, in, injuries, but they were later in the season. Uh, Eddie Jackson was one, um, Bryce Callahan was another, and that you know that was that doomed them against Philadelphia in their in their playoff game, not having those two guys on the field. Um, but last year, the the injury bug hit early with Akeem Hicks going down in was it week five against the the Raiders over in London. Uh, he tried to come back, but he was he was just in pain uh, every time he tried to to reach out to make a. a a tackle that that elbow despite being in a brace just he, he there wasn't enough strength there and, and he just was a shadow of the guy he was early in the season and of course in the season prior to that um mac played hurt we didn't hear about it till after the season but he was playing a little gimpy uh so you had you had a, a lot of guys out you of course the the offensive line absolutely was brutal from week one we were all told that Kyle Long was in the best shape of his entire pro football career. And you're looking at this guy, especially against the, the Redskins early in the season. And you know, the one red zone 
interception that Trubisky threw, I believe it was in the second quarter, um, you know, Kyle Long was pushed all the way back into Trubisky's lap. And even though Trubisky, that's probably his best game of the year, that interception sticks out like a sore thumb. But their offensive line play was just so substandard to what it was in 18. We talked about the injuries on defense. And then the one thing that the Bears didn't do at all in 18 was drop passes. And, you know, they were they were tops in the league or they were close. I think they finished third. Um, Buffalo was, I think, number one. And, and there was another team up there. And the Bears ended up with a, an official stat of 25 drops, which was absolutely insane that they dropped as many passes as they did. So the defense... You know, even as good as they were without the guys that they were missing, they just they just couldn't hold up against a, a teams when the offense wasn't scoring any points. And they won eight games. That's that's what I think everybody thinks of last year as a disaster. And it clearly did not beat expectations, but they're eight and eight. I mean, this team's not that far away from competing for a playoff spot. Absolutely. And when you you know, there's. In, in a lot of games, there are, you know, we're not talking like the Kansas City Chiefs or the Baltimore Ravens that blow out people, but there are always a couple of games that come down to a play or two. And let's, you know, put the put the cards on the table. The Bears were two plays away from being ten and six. Because you, if you take the missed field goal against San Diego or the, the, the Chargers. Uh, I, I don't think I'll ever get used to calling them the Los Angeles Chargers. Sure. Uh, you, you take away you take away Eddie's field goal miss in that game. You take away the running into the, the receiver uh, or running into the kicker in, in the Oakland game in London, and they get the ball and they, they fall, the game's over. So there, you you take those two plays in, and change them, and this is a ten and six team that that be, becomes a wild card team, even as poorly as they played last year. Yeah, they're not that far away, and no. that's and that's what we have to keep reminding people that are very negative is that, you know, this defense is as good as advertised, and again, if they can stay healthy, this team's this defense is going to lead this team to a lot of victories. As you said, as long as we stay healthy, knock on wood. So it'll be uh, absolutely interesting to watch the injury front, uh, especially with the lack of practice that these guys, uh, this, the practice that they're missing with this virus. They can't, hopefully they're all working out on their own and keeping their muscles stretched out. The last thing you want to see is they have, you know, four players go out with hamstrings in sure. week one. Right. You know, that, that, that would be a problem. Uh, this is uh, Halitech Hall. We're visiting with Windy City Gridiron's historian, Jeff Burkus. We're going to take a, a pause for a message from our sponsor, TickSplits.com. And when we come back, we're, uh, this is one of the things that I really enjoy about, about Jeff is his historical spin on things. And, and he has been working for months on something called the championship belt series. And several weeks ago, we did part one. We already had pre-recorded part two, but there were technical difficulties and we were never able to get that on the air. So we're going to be redoing part two 
uh, tonight. And then a couple of weeks from now, we'll be doing part three. And I believe you have, what, four or five parts now? Uh, it'll The whole series will be five parts when it's all done. And how many are done now? Three are published. Three are published. Perfect. So in a couple of weeks, we'll be doing part three. And hopefully in the coming weeks, four and five will we'll get published because uh, he's got to post it first on Windy Gridiron, folks, before we can talk about it here on on Halitech Hall. So with that, we'll be right back after a word from TickSplits.com. So you're looking for great ticket deals. Who is it? Well, TickSplits.com has you covered. From the biggest sporting events to Broadway shows and concerts, TickSplits.com has the best ticket selection at the very best prices out there and no service fees. So the price you see is the price you pay. Plus, TickSplits.com donates up to 25% of their proceeds to charity. TickSplits.com has the tickets you want when you want them. Go to T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com today. That's TickSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue everywhere ticksplits.com uh, when you can start getting back out you can buy tickets there's six billion that's with a b six billion dollars of ticket inventory at ticksplits.com so don't hesitate you're going to save money because they never charge a service fee and last but not least with promo code TAILGATE, that's T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E. It's all one word. It's all caps. You'll save another 5% on top of their already low prices. That's TickSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere, whether you're in the United States, Europe, or the Far East, you can find your tickets at TickSplits.com. We're joining again with uh, Jeff Burkus from Windy City Gridiron in, in uh, we had the honor to talk about his championship belt series. Uh, we started a couple of months ago. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to recap the uh, what part one was. But before I do that, if you can just give us a 30,000 point or 30,000 foot view of exactly what the series is, is all about, uh, then we'll get into uh, then we'll get into part two. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea is to identify who the best player was in any given year and then how long that they retained that, quote, belt of being the best player. And so we started in 1920, uh, going all the way back to the Decatur Staley's, and then we've worked our way through the entire 100-year history that will be covered in all five parts. We're going to be talking about part two today. Uh, for each belt holder, we have an illustration or some kind of uh, art uh, of the top two challengers. Generally, it's two people. There's always a fun name, and then there's a, a kind of a description of the person and why they have the belt. And then I give each player walk-up music like you would if you were walking up to the plates or in baseball or, or walking into the ring in boxing or professional wrestling. So trying to have a lot of fun with this, but really it's all about trying to identify who was the one best player at any given time throughout the Bears history. So part one took us from the beginning, 1920, all the way through the Great Depression. Uh, and we had winners like Guy Chamberlain in 1920. We had uh, Pete Stinchcomb in 21 and 22, who uh, edged out George Hallis, George Trafton in 23 and 24, 
then we moved into Red Grange in 1925. Probably, how could you argue with, with Red? Uh, in 1926, the first guy that was more than two years, Patty Driscoll from 26 to 29. After that, we get into the, to the 30s and uh, was the return of Red Grange in 30 and 31. Uh, and then Bronco Nagurski captured the belt in 32 and held that for, what, six years, 32, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 37. Uh, and, you know, the, and people wonder about, about this guy, Bronco Nagurski. And, and uh, obviously I'm not old enough to, to have watched him play, uh, I don't remember games until uh, the mid-60s. And uh, the first game I can ever remember attending was uh, a 1965 game at Wrigley Field when uh, Gail Sayers and Dick Butkus were rookies and they beat the uh, uh, Los Angeles Rams. That's the first game I can ever remember being at. Uh, but I can remember uh, as a youngster of all of uh, six years old uh sitting in for for our listeners we we have been blessed for what the last 40 some odd years without uh uh having to uh go to a bar to watch a game uh at home because of a blackout rule but you know back forever the home games were not televised in chicago uh you you saw the you know people in the suburbs and and I grew up in the northwest suburbs of, of the Schomburg area, and you'd see these avid Bears fans with these huge antenna towers with their antennas pointing to the northwest so they could pull in Rockford television stations to hmm. get the games. So they spent all that money just to get, you know, seven games because back then the, the season was only – well, back in the 60s, it was only 12 games, and it moved to 14 in, I think, 61 when they expanded the league and brought in Minnesota in, uh, in Dallas. Uh, and then it didn't get to 16 games until the 1978 season. But all of those home games were blacked out in the mm -hmm. Chicago area. Uh, and if you, we have a bunch of hockey fans here, you, we remember those days all too well with the, the worst family where all the home games for the Blackhawks were blacked out until Rocky Wirtz took over uh, for uh, to run the show uh, what in the early 2000s. So that leads us up to part two. And at part two, uh, we, we start with uh, 1938. And in 1938 through 1940, the belt holder is... Well, it's Danny Fortman. So the the top two contenders are both offensive linemen. So this is called the Battle of the Big Uglies. But Danny Fortman and Joe Steidahar, they came to the Bears in the same draft. Uh, first round pick was Joe Steidahar, and Fortman was, I think, the eighth round pick in the in the year that they both came into the league. Uh, both standouts, both in the Hall of Fame. It's a very close battle, but Danny Fortman makes seven straight first-team All-Pros. I don't care what era you play in. If you are recognized as the best at your position seven straight years, that's incredibly impressive. Uh, 
Danny Foreman, probably the most interesting about interesting thing about him is that he was a doctor. He studied to become a physician while he was playing for the Bears. So he said many times that football was a was just a, a way to pay his way through med school, pay his way through college. But Hallis actually negotiated with the University of Chicago Med School that he could attend classes and still make practices and play on the weekends. And so Hall, George Hallis is over at the University of Chicago Medical School trying to work through a class schedule that worked for Danny Fortman. So master negotiator, even going to med schools and, and trying to get this worked out. So that's kind of a fun story there. So so Danny Fortman, you know, to me, this is a close battle. It's really tough to know without a lot of footage or anything, but there's some really great quotes about Fortman from Hallis and, uh, and and others at the time calling him the heart and soul of the running game. Obviously, it's the 1930s. The running game is everything at this point. So for me, that was easy to give him the belt eventually over Steidahar when he really looked at it. And then his walk-up music is the uh, Motley Crue classic, Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> you got to love that. An interesting side note that you put in the story on, and you can... You can go to Windy City Gridiron and just search for championship belt series, and you can you can grab these articles. And guys, they're just absolutely amazing. But one of the the, the fun notes that you put in about Fortman was after the war, he started his career in, in, after World War II. He started up his career in medicine, and and the line you used was he started stitching people up after a career of ripping open holes. <laughs> uh, for for his the running backs to get through, uh, and he was also the team doctor for for the Los Angeles Rams for several seasons uh, after after he left football and and did medicine full time. That brings us to the dawning of the age of the T formation, and uh, our our the legendary quarterback uh, in the 40s, of course, is none other than Sid. Luckman, who held the the belt for seven years. Yeah, and this one's this one's kind of easy. I think there's a couple people that were disappointed that Bulldog Turner didn't hold the belt for longer. We'll get to Bulldog here in a bit, but here it was two outstanding linemen with with Bulldog Turner and Danny Fortman against Sid Luckman. But you got a guy that's leading the way, you know, just shattering record books. Clearly, Sid Luckman was my pick here. We called this the T-formation altercation. It's also a little bit of a head nod to my editor, Lester Wilfong Jr., who has a podcast called the T-formation conversation. And so a little hat tip there to, to the boss. But the so for the T-formation altercation, Sid Luckman, I, you know, it, to me, Luckman, he's the best quarterback in team history. And I don't think it's anywhere close. Uh, I think if you extrapolate numbers you know they're ridiculous even by today's standards and i and i understand it's a different game and i get all that but i had gone through through an exercise to extrapolate stats from his 43 season which was his mvp year he was ridiculous um into a number of attempts that you would find an average quarterback would have i used the 2018 season when i wrote this and if you extrapolated those stats, Luckman would have finished with, when in one season with 6,300 yards and 80 touchdowns. 
that's how good his 1943 was with his percentages of how many how many of his throws went for touchdowns and just how many yards he was throwing for. He would have shattered. You know, forget Patrick Mahomes, forget Dan Marino, forget Drew Brees. Sid Luckman would own all of the records if he was playing 16 games with those kinds of numbers. To put that season in perspective for our listeners, because you just can't comprehend that, but you know, how many passes are thrown by a quarterback in an average year? You know, so I, I use 580. Yeah, so 580 passes, and Sid Luckman threw a touchdown pass, 14 touchdown passes for every 100 attempts. It was right. just an absolutely amazing, unprecedented year that, quite frankly, we'll never see again in, in the NFL unless they go to maybe a 20-game schedule. No, you'll never. Well, you'll never see anything with those percentages, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the, the the overall takeaway was he was just the it was such a crazy new offense that had such a first mover advantage, but you know he ran it to perfection and and so for me the song and I don't know if you're a fan of Outcast or not, but this is something that I grew up with, so I chose Bombs Over Baghdad by Outcast because it's just the song with the most energy. It always gets me pumped up, and I just think that there's. Very interesting parallels there with a quarterback that throws long touchdown passes. You know, it's throwing the bomb, right? And then, uh, you know, Sid Luckman also fought in World War II. He was uh, he was there in the Normandy invasion. And so uh, I think that there's some parallels there with bombs and military service as well. So that, that was the, the choice for the, for the song. Yeah, it's a great tie-in. You know, and in fact, when, when you, you look at some of the terminology that fans have come to know in football and their correlation with, with military, you've got gridiron, you've got blitz, you've got bombs. So there's, there's a lot of things going on there that, that uh, it's just a perfect song for, uh, you know, for Sid Luckman. Uh, Sid Luckman ended his reign in, in, after the 47th season and uh, we, we go to the, what's called the Dog Day Afternoon with Clyde Bulldog Turner and uh, Johnny Lujak, uh, which was a, a, a new quarterback for the Bears and in, in, in a quite good one. So in 48, Luckman's still around, but he he's also sharing snaps with Johnny Lujak and Bobby Lane. So Hallis is kind of running a three-headed monster. It's definitely not something that you would see today with three quarterbacks taking snaps, but that's what was going on. Hallis was trying to uh, have a succession plan with, you know, knowing that Luckman was, you know, towards the end of his career. So he's trying to figure out who's going to be the next guy. Lou Jack puts up some some good numbers, but yeah, this is Clyde Bulldog Turner we're talking about. I think he's the best offensive lineman in Bears history. Certainly the best center. I, you have another Hall of Fame center in George Trafton as well, but Bulldog Turner put up some pretty incredible uh, streaks of postseason honors. Also was very good on defense. Uh, has a lot of interceptions, uh, including four in championship games. So Bulldog Turner, very good player. 
a two-way player. And so for me, it was very easy to to give this to Bulldog Turner, obviously Dog Day Afternoon after <laughs> the Bulldog nickname. And for me, the, the walk-up music for Bulldog was also a pretty easy choice. Uh, I took the Black Sabbath song Iron Man because this is one of the last guys that played every snap both ways, didn't miss any games, and he played for a long time. This is a true Iron Man. Yeah, and for our listeners that, that don't um, know about the early days of football, which is why we spend so much time talking about Bears history on the Halitech Hall Show, is all of the starters it, back in those days, you know, previous to 1960, they were both, they were all two-way players, weren't they? I, I think, you know, by and large, I, I'm sure that there was probably some that you know didn't play both ways or weren't very good both ways but i think you know when you have a standout that gets honored on both sides of the ball those are the guys you really kind of have to look at and be like oh wow this guy was this guy was a really good football player absolutely uh, you know we were we're talking a little bit about this three-headed monster and then at quarterback in 48 and that's one of the biggest regrets that that Hallis has is is the guy that got away. Yeah, he trades away Bobby Lane, but you know, when you kind of look at it, you have Johnny Lujak, who is the All American kid, right? He, he goes to Notre Dame, he wins Heisman Trophy, he wins national championships, and he's a clean cut guy, and he probably got along with Hallis swimmingly in terms of not breaking team rules. You've got Bobby Lane, who wanted to go out drinking and partying all the time and never listened to Hallis. And it, you know, when you look at the history, it makes sense why he shipped away Lane. It just is unfortunate that it boomeranged back from New York, where he traded him, to Detroit. And then he led Detroit to their most successful decade of their existence, including actually, you know, winning a championship. So, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely the move that. Hallis is quoted as uh, as regretting the most, but when you look at the next championship belt holder, it is Johnny Lujak in 1950 and 1951 because he made Hallis look really good at the time. He looked great, and he's he's playing you know in this fictitious matchup. He's matched up against his fellow Notre Dame uh, teammate George Connor and what I called the Golden Domer dustup, and. The thing about Lujak is he looked really great. And, and again, all-American guy, back-to-back national championships, Heisman Trophy, he's a Bear, he's taken over for Sid Luckman. I think that as a Bear fan in that time, you had to just think, we're going to keep, we're, we're going to restart this dynasty. Everything's going to be okay because we've got Johnny Lujak. Like this, I don't think you cared about Johnny, uh, I don't think you cared about Bobby Lane. I think everybody was really excited about Johnny Lujak. So he's first team all pro in 1950, makes pro ball in 50-51. He's, he's not just a, a, a good passer. He's also running the ball well. He leads the league in running touchdowns by a quarterback, uh, you know, during one of those seasons. And so, you know, this I think everything looked great. Unfortunately for the Bears and, and Lou Jack, he, he walks away really early. Um, he, in different spots, cites that he was hurt more than he had led on and wanted to take care of his body. And I think Johnny Lujak is still with us. I think he is still alive today. So um, maybe, maybe he made the right call uh, from that perspective. And, 
there's also reporting that Hallis and him had a contract dispute and Hallis wasn't willing to meet his demands. He had other options. He you know, had a radio program. I think he was in some movies. And so he walks and uh, turns, turns away from football. That opens up the uh, the belt to a guy to the guy that he was argu- arguably you know neck and neck with the you know in fifty and fifty one when um, George Connor uh, is in the showdown in the Garden of Good and Evil. Tell us about that one. Yeah, I should mention that Johnny Lujak's walk up song was Uptown Funk, which. Uh, because I don't think that there's anybody cooler than Bruno Mars. <laughs> and I just think there's no one cooler than Johnny Lujak. So that, that for me, was his walk-up music. But, yeah, well, great. Hey, 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 Jeff, before we get started on, on 5253 and the showdown, uh, you know, when we talked about the these uh, this three-headed monster at, at quarterback, um, this is a, a little sidebar if we if we kind of move up in time to the 1971 season, uh, the Bears were not a good team. They finished six and eight. I think it was Jim Dooley's last year as head coach. Uh, they played the Dallas Cowboys in Chicago and actually beat Dallas in that game. They finished six and eight, and. Um, Dallas would have to win the Super Bowl that year. The the uh, the Bears beat Dallas 23 to 19. But the the sidebar that that I wanted to correlate with the Bears' three-headed monster in the late 40s is this game was the game that that uh, you, this is when when Tom Landry was starting to take the play calling away from the quarterbacks. And he started mm. calling the plays. Uh, he actually alternated Roger Staubach and Craig Morton every play. That's ridiculous. You know, it, <laughs> obviously the, uh, the, ex, the experiment backfired when they got beat by the six and, and the six and eight bears. Uh, but it, it's interesting that we talked about this three-headed monster and the two-headed monster that came several years later in Dallas, and the Bears actually beat the Dallas Cowboys. It was a, a game that was earlier in the year. It was uh, uh, see if I can find it here. Uh, I can't because I've already moved uh, moved on. But uh, uh, you know, the Bears finished six and eight that year and and really didn't play well at all. It was their first year uh, as, uh, you know, playing in, in Soldier Field. So uh, it was it was uh, just an interesting little sidebar when we talk about multiple talented quarterbacks. Uh, you don't have any continuity if you don't play them, right? Oh, I, I wouldn't think so. I'm, it <laughs> seems kind of ridiculous to, so, in hindsight. But. So back, yeah, back to the showdown in the Garden of Good and Evil. We've got uh, George... Apollo Connor versus Eddie the Claw Sprinkle. Right. So this is one of my favorite posters uh, that was completed by Whiskey Ranger. And I, I, 
I named it The Showdown in the Garden of Good and Evil because when you read about George Connor, and there was some people that had called him that he looked like a Greek god. He looked like Apollo, the Greek god. So that's I took that nickname for him. And he was saying he you was know, this Notre Dame guy, and he was clean cut. He was a well-respected player. Everybody liked him. And, and uh, so he's kind of that good part of the good and evil. Ed Sprinkle, on the other hand, he was a guy that even for the time played with that line of being kind of a dirty player and if you watch some of the things that he did on film and you watch it through the lens of someone who watches modern football you're like oh that guy's getting suspended for the rest of the year he might be kicked out of the league it's it's uh it's very much a 1950s style but even then it was sort of on the border ed sprinkle is one of my favorite players to to learn about and he's hilarious i have a link to a youtube clip of him he's the only guy that doesn't actually own the belt that I gave a walk-up song to. Um, I gave him Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap by ACDC, which I think was pretty appropriate. And so I do I do <laughs> love Ed good. Sprinkle. And I will say that when I wrote this series, he was a sort of Hall of Very Good, Hall of Fame snub. But since I've published this particular article, he is now Hall of Famer Ed Sprinkle. He's part of the 100-year NFL anniversary class that the Hall of Fame put together that also put in Jimbo Covert. And so very excited for Ed Sprinkle to be in the Hall of Fame. I was cheering very loudly when I got the news that that had happened. But he doesn't win the belt. It's George Conner. George Conner is just that much better. He puts together a lot of all-pro campaigns. In his career, he's got four total. Um, He has back-to-back in the years that he holds the belt 52 and 53 um i i put his walk-up music as welcome to the jungle uh by guns and roses um i it doesn't necessarily fly with the clean cut george connor but i liked any any sort of defensive player with a hard rock 80s song kind of felt right to me and so um I, I quoted the line welcome to the jungle we take it day by day if you want it you're gonna bleed but it's the price to pay which it seemed like something that a defensive player from that era might say. That brings us to a little bit of a shift. Uh, we've been talking about linemen. We went from quarterbacks to linemen. Now we come back to where we're actually, you've got a contest uh, between the fast and the ferocious uh, Bill, pretty gorgeous Bill, gorgeous George versus um, the Harlan, the harbinger of thrill Hill. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, you know, Harlan Hill was, was a, a hell of a receiver. So, uh, it, it's tell us a little bit about, uh, about Harlan. Cause we'll get to bill George here in a little bit. I think that the people that know a little bit about bears history might see this and say, how are you not giving this to bill George? And the reason is that Harlan Hill was really freaking good. And he gets lost in history because he gets injured after his after three very competitive seasons. And so it's really unfortunate. I, I did nickname him the Harbinger of Thrill because it kind of sounds like Harlan Hill. Um, but I think that's what he was. I think he was this absolute lightning rod of excitement at wide receiver. And I w- one of the things I did was I extrapolated his stats to a 16-game schedule. 
and I added up his first three seasons. And for his first three seasons, so this would be a way for you, the listener, to understand what it is through a modern lens. So he had the equivalent over his first three years of 4,057 yards and 43 touchdowns. That was what his uh, 1954, 55, and 56 extrapolated to today's standards. That's what that would look like. That's those are really that's a really great three-year total. The three-year total that looks pretty much the same. It's 4,100 yards and 43 touchdowns. So essentially, it's the same. Those are Randy Moss's first three years in the league, which. You know, Randy Moss took the world by storm. You know, they over that same amount of time, both players earned three Pro Bowl bids, and they both were uh, first-team All-Pro twice. So he was off to the same start as Randy Moss was in his first three years. That's how good Harlan Hill was. And we're not talking about great quarterbacks throwing him the ball. You know, Harlan Hill is just absolutely killing it for the Bears. And I, I know we don't have a great wide receiver history as Bears fans. I understand that. But you got it starts with Harlan Hill being one of the best players ever uh, to put on a Bears uniform. He was named most valuable player in 1955 by the Newspaper Enterprise Association, uh, which was known as the Jim Thorpe Award. So, I mean, he's... I think he's fascinating. He was a he was a big play threat. I gave him the song "Bullet Bullet with Butterfly Wings" by the Smashing Pumpkins because I think that really describes the type of receiver that I think he was. Very fast, but also very graceful. That's that's how I have him in my mind. And so he was good enough to take down the great Bill George in my mind through those three years. To put this in perspective, and and I love how you extrapolate, and you've done that a couple of times as we've been going through the, the 40s and the and the 50s, for our listeners that, that aren't old enough to remember, and quite frankly, I wasn't old enough, I'm not old enough to remember the 50s because I was just a child in, in the 50s. But prior to the 1961 season, the league only played 12 games. Right. Okay, in 1961, that's when Dallas came in and Minnesota came in. Uh, and in 1961 was the first year they went to a 14-game season. And that 14-game season uh, did not change until after the 1977 season uh, when they went to a 16-game schedule in, in 1978. Ironically, and we'll talk about about Walter Payton in, in upcoming episodes, but imagine Walter Payton's MVP year in 1977. He had over 2,000 yards. He had almost 1,900 yards rushing. Uh, the last game of the year was played on two inches of ice in East Rutherford, uh, New Jersey, against the Giants, where they needed to go to overtime to kick a field goal to make the playoffs for the first time in 19 since 1963 and they purposely left the field uncovered for the single point of slowing Peyton down because you know this is the Bob Avellini led uh Chicago Bears in 1977 and Peyton was their offense we'll go we'll we'll get into that more when we get yeah into I mean the, the man, Michael, spoiler alert spoiler alert <laughs> I, I told you, history is kind of a, a thing for me with the Bears. I've been doing it for just about all my life. 
so it's a it's a lot of fun to p- kind of put these these historic seasons of Bears past to more of a of a you know put a present spin on them to see exactly just how amazing those seasons were. And when you when you take a look at what what Harlan Hill did in the in the early fifties and and what uh, Sid Luckman did in 1943. These are these are you know, seasons that wide receivers dream about. Uh, you know, seasons that no quarterback has touched. Uh, you know, you can you, you can look at, at Brady's 55 touchdowns, and you can look at what Mahomes did in in 2018. But none of those years compare to the the, the type of year that that Luckman had in, in 1943. So this is, you know, this is critical. This is the crux of what Halitech Hall show does is, is bringing history to the forefront of, of bear fans throughout Twitter and throughout the world. So Bill George finally takes the title away from, from Harlan Hill in 57. So tell us a little bit about the, the, the midway melee between uh, it, Bill George and, uh, and one of my personal favorites from a youngster, Doug Atkins. Yeah, two great Hall of Fame players and both on defense. And so you start to see that build up to the great 63 defense. But for, for my book and, you know, part three, which which is out, so you can see who takes it away from Bill George in 62. But for my book, Bill George holds it for five years. I think he's undisputed as the the best player on the team over that time and you know obviously harlan hill gets hurt and so you know he's kind of out of it doug atkins is amazing as well but bill george had seven straight first team all pro honors and basically is credited with inventing the middle linebacker position you know story is he got frustrated that uh, i think the eagles were just kind of throwing a pop pass over the top of his head and he couldn't get back in time to get it because you know he was taught to give like a little shiver to the center and then drop back into coverage. Couldn't do it. And so he just dropped back into coverage without giving that uh, center a hit. And all of a sudden he was in a position to make plays and Hey, that looked pretty good. Why don't you keep doing that? And so he's credited as being the first middle linebacker. And I, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough again to really say, okay, You've got this middle linebacker. He's an all-timer. You kind of created the position. Here's Doug Atkins, who is a monster, and he's a great defensive end, racks up a lot of sacks, but there's no official stat for sacks until 1982. And so you know that he has a lot of career sacks, but it's not necessarily something that we can use stats to, to base this on. And so I, I actually find this to, this one to be pretty hard. And I tried to find the line where I thought most comfortable, where I felt like Bill George had the advantage over anybody else. And so this, this five-year reign, I think it's a pretty impressive reign, but these are two all-time players. These are two guys that you know, are around that 10th overall in team history mark. Uh, and so really great matchup here between those two guys. And for uh, Bill George, I selected the Metallica classic Enter Sandman as his, uh, <laughs> his walk-up music. And I, 
I just feel like, you know, Metallica, they, they really changed the music scene. George changes defenses, you know, so there's kind of a, a head nod to how important each, each person was to, to their particular field. Uh, but is Enter Sandman just like the perfect middle linebacker walk-up song? <laughs> uh, it, you know, so it was for me. And so I, I, I put him uh, with that. And, and that's, that's the end of part two. I can't wait to get into part three. Hopefully we'll be able to do that in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, so, uh, but you've been also now that, that you've got basically this series is all but done. We just have to finish the artwork to get the rest of the, the championship belt series onto uh, Windy City Gridiron. Uh, you started a new project that I wanted to, to let you talk about. And, uh, you know, one thing we're not shy about is is we're all about the Bears. And we bring people on all the time that even, you know, they do their own podcasts. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're listening to a Bears podcast, you might as well listen to some of the best, which is why we have guys like you on our show and Lester on our show. Uh, you know, Jack's been on our show. You know, you, it's kind of like... Uh, um, we're uh, Windy City Gridiron Light when it comes to the Halitech Golf <laughs> Show, uh, but it's all great content. And you started a new series, and I'm going to introduce it. It's called Halis to Mac Bears by by the Decades, and I want you to tell us about it because I, I did get a chance to listen to the first part. And if you're a Bears fan, this is absolutely must listen to stuff. Yeah, so it's called Hallis the Mac, Chicago Bears History by the Decade. And we're basically, it's my best friend, uh, who's a lifelong Bears fan as well. We met over in first grade. He was wearing a Chicago Bears t-shirt first day of school. I pointed at it, gave him a thumbs up. And <laughs> honestly, we talked at recess and I, I, we've been best friends ever since. And that's not a, a lie that's that's it really did happen over uh, a Chicago Bears t-shirt and so we've been kind of talking about he's a history teacher he loves the history part of this loves diving into stats like me and you know we have these conversations you know just organically and doing all the research for the belt doing all the research for a couple of other projects and when he said a great iron I said what do you think about going through decade by decade doing a little bit uh, some fun stuff. I, I, you know, I used to bartend, so I have a famous cocktail from each decade that I, I'm highlighting. Uh, he's giving a little bit of a U.S. history uh, update, including pop culture, particularly once we start again getting into more pop culture in the 20s and 30s. There's not a ton of that. And then we give a brief biography of eight key players from the each decade and talk about how the Bears did, some major events that happened. And then, then the end of the show is working through some fun categories like who's your favorite player, learning about um, what was who had the best game, you know, who who would you put from that decade onto the 2006 roster to try to help win the Super Bowl or the 2020 roster this uh, upcoming season to, to help put the Bears in a better position? And so there's just, you know, a lot of like fun what if kind of questions that, that we go through and 
go through a lot of George Hallis in the first five episodes, <laughs> uh, talking about him as a first as a player, player coach, and then a lot of stuff as a GM. A lot of really fascinating stuff about Hallis as a GM. So it's been a lot of fun. I've we've recorded all the way through the '90s already, uh, but the '20s and '30s are out currently on the WCG Podcast Network, and expect a new episode to drop every Monday morning until we're through the whole history. Speaking of cocktails, uh, you're you're a partner in crime and and boss over at Windy City Gridiron, uh, Lester. I believe he he posted a uh, uh, the recipe for this cocktail. Well, I think uh, I, I, I posted it, but did, yeah. was it your? He must have retweeted it then. Oh, okay, yeah. And I was like. This sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I did, did a little research uh, for every decade of, of a cocktail that was popular during that time. Maybe not necessarily invented during that time, but popular. Um, I think you're referring to the French 75, which was popular in the 30s. Yeah. Gin, simple syrup, lemon juice, and then you fill it to the top with champagne, garnish with a lemon twist. Sure beats the hell out of a simple Manhattan, which is my my favorite drink. But um, oh, I, I like Manhattan's too. <laughs> Nothing wrong with those. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's my go-to drink whenever I'm out. And uh, uh, since we're talking cocktails, this is a little quick sidebar. Uh, I grew up in the Chicagoland area, and when I and I moved up to uh, Wisconsin in 1996, so I've been up here 24 years. Uh, but I'm only I'm less than two hours away from Woodfield Mall it's in, in the Schaumburg area. So I do get down there often. But the first time, the very first time I ordered a Manhattan in Wisconsin, I spit it out. I said, what is this? They said, well, it's a Manhattan. I said, this isn't a man. What's in this? Brandy. Yeah, right. Brandy Manhattan's in Wisconsin. Oh, yeah. Brandy is very popular is brandy is probably one of the single most popular uh, liquors in in all of Wisconsin, aside from uh, spotted cow beer. But but uh, one of the other things that they get wrong, uh, that, that <laughs> and in in for the listener, rye whiskey with a Manhattan. You know, I I uh, I, I love I, I do Maker's Mark. I do I I do rye whiskey. Um, there's, it's just, there's something about it. You, uh, I don't put as much vermouth in as, as most people do. Uh, and I don't put bitters in, which some people do, but, uh, it's still definitely one of my favorite cocktails. Uh, and I believe, um, just this week is the anniversary of the first cocktail ever, ever made, uh, in in the United States, so it's it's kind of ironic that we ended up finishing the show talking about cocktails. Well, get some good recipes on, on yeah. this new podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, uh, where can where can we find the uh, Hallis to Mac Bears history by decades? Yep, you're going to want to try to follow me on Twitter, at Gridironborn. Of course, everything that I do for Chicago Bears is going to be on Windy City Gridiron, the SB Nation Chicago Bears site, and so you can find it there. Uh, Some of the stuff has been out for a while that we're talking about today, so if you want to just (laughs) take a shortcut, just Google uh, Championship Belt Series Windy City Gridiron, and you should get those hits uh, to bring up those those two articles um, that we've already covered on your show. Any uh, Bears fans should have a uh, bookmark on their internet browser for Windy City Gridiron, 
And there is a, there's even a, a search mode on Windy City Gridiron. You can just uh, go to Windy City to hit the search and type in championship belt series, and there they are. So, guys, uh, it's a great – it's just great stuff. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to the uh, the Windy City Gridiron Bears historians. Uh, obviously, this is now Jeff's second time on our show, uh, soon to be three, four, and five here coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, Jack Silverstein has been on our show a few times and Lester is uh, our number one guest. He's been on our show the most times of any guest we've had at the Halitech Hall show. So, uh, Jeff, it's been a pleasure having you on board. I can't wait to get you on in a couple of weeks to talk about part three. And uh, by the time we get done, we might have a couple of other installments of the Bears history by decades we can talk about as well. So, uh, with that, Jeff, I want to thank you very much. Thanks again to our sponsor, TickSplits.com. Make sure you go there for all of your ticket needs so you stop wasting money by spending it on service fees and save an additional 5% by using Tailgate as a promo code. And my thanks to our producer, as always, and co-host who's normally on with us every week, Double uh, A, Aaron Torricelli. With that, have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Mm-hmm.